Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature did sing that night that Jesus was born, declaring with a star that the earth had in fact received her king. A star was proclaiming, declaring, making this declaration that let earth receive her king. It was an invitation for us to receive the king. And Matthew's gospel tells us how this child was received into the world. He's going to show us the reception given by the world to the newborn king, that he received worship from people who were very distant, and he was rejected by those who were closest to him. He received homage from afar, but hostility at home. So let's read together, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now reading just that verse, we probably all picture in our minds, you know, three wise men riding on camels and following yonder star. Uh, We will work through the details of that as we go along here. But these wise men, they're on a quest. They're on a treasure hunt. These wise men are looking for clues, and they're trying to find a treasure. What is the treasure? It's Christ, the King, Emmanuel, God with us, God now on earth. That was their mission. That's our first point. They're on a mission. And it says they come, verse 2 They come saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, two things about these wise men that we learn in this verse. There's a lot of confusion around them, but two things we know for sure. One, they were looking for Jesus. And two, that when they found him, they they wanted to worship him. So two things, they were looking for Jesus, and when they found him, they wanted to worship him. That was their mission. We all have a dream. We all have goals in life. We all have a passion, a quest for something. And really behind all of that, we're looking for happiness and fulfillment. But different people look for happiness and fulfillment in different places. Perhaps in our career or climbing the company ladder or or trying to find our fulfillment and all our happiness in our job or in relationships, in in our spouse or in in whether I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or not, uh, those kinds of things, or in our car, that finding our happiness in what car we drive or how much cash we have or being popular, all of these things that we can try to find our happiness and fulfillment in. And we often look for those things in the wrong places. But it was C.S. Lewis who said, God has designed the human machine to run on himself. And that is true. When we live our lives to be pleased by other things, it's like putting unleaded gas in a diesel engine. It won't work, or at least not very long. But what makes these wise men so wise is they were on a mission to find Jesus and to worship him. And we will see, they had money, they had influence, they had education, You would think that anyone would be happy with those things, so why would they need to look any further? Because they found, like many people today, that those things just don't satisfy. Now, I want to draw your attention to the fact that it says they came looking for him after Jesus was born. 
that's a big clue in understanding these wise men. Because when you look at your nativity scene, maybe you have a nativity scene at home, you've got the little decorations out, uh, you look at it, you know, you have Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus is in the middle, and then you have the star on top of the little, the little uh, cabin or the little covering that they have there, and then you've got the, the shepherds and the little animals around that, and then somewhere in there you've got your wise men, right? They're, they're on the periphery. If you didn't get wise men in your nativity set, you got ripped off, Right? You would feel that way. But according to this passage, the wise men did not show up that night that Jesus was born. So they weren't there. In fact, that night seems to be the beginning of their quest for Jesus. That was the night they first saw the star. Now, who were these wise men? Who were they? Well, they were magi. That word that it's come to mean various things, but the original meaning of magi is likely in view here which is men who interpreted special signs like astronomers. They were interested in signs in the heavens. And notice there weren't three. This is probably a large group of people, a large group of men. We usually call them three kings, right? Well, there were not three, and they were not kings. They were likely, they worked for the king of Babylon. It states they, were, they came from the east, which would be in the direction of Babylon and ancient Persia. And of all the peoples of the east, the Babylonians had the most opportunity to learn from the Jewish scriptures, which contained multiple promises of the coming Messiah. The Jews were in captivity in Babylon. So they were very familiar with the, the Jewish culture, the Jewish heritage, and the Jewish scriptures. Daniel, you know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel worked for the king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel prayed, and God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream, and Daniel interpreted dreams for the king. Daniel was a magi, or one of these wise men, in that sense, that, that he, he also foretold of the coming of the Messiah. Not only Daniel, but tens of thousands of of Jews lived in Babylon during the time of the exile, and they maintained a very large presence there for, for the following centuries. And even though time passed, and the Babylonian Empire ceased to be a world power, by the time Jesus arrives, these magi apparently maintained their identity. And they knew that the Old Testament book of Daniel, and also the Old Testament book of Isaiah, promised that the Messiah was coming. You know the, the passage in Isaiah, chapter 9, verses, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That was a prophecy where God said what he was going to do in the future. And these magi knew hundreds of years later about this prophecy because of Daniel. Because the same angel that showed up to Mary, the angel Gabriel, he showed up and says, hi, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And Mary says, but I'm not married. And Gabriel, the angel says, don't worry about it. I've got it taken care of. God has it covered. And Gabriel also showed up to Joseph and told Joseph, it's okay to marry her. That same angel appeared to Daniel 500 years before Jesus was born and told Daniel things about how Jesus was going to come and even gave, gave the timetable. 
So these magi had kept track of these things, and now when they see a star telling them it was time, they travel over 500 miles to Jerusalem. And when they get there, they ask, where is the king of the Jews? In the original language, it gives the idea that they were asking that over and over again. They were going around asking everyone they met, where is he? Where is the king of the Jews? And it seems that they were surprised that no one else was as, as excited as they were about finding him, about finding that where he had been born. If anyone would be excited about the birth of the king of the Jews, it would be the Jews, right? So they kept asking. And eventually, news of their quest and all of their questions got all the way to the palace of King Herod. And while the wise men viewed finding Jesus as their mission, Herod, King Herod, viewed Jesus as competition. We see that beginning in verse 3. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod sees all these wise men showing up from the east and they're asking about another king. Hey, he's like, I'm the king. What are you talking about, some other king? I'm the king, that's my title. In fact, Herod liked to think of himself as the king of the Jews. Because the Roman Empire was in charge of this whole area of Israel at this time, they had appointed Herod to be in charge of it under them, under the Roman Empire. Herod was not a Jew. In fact, Herod was an Edomite. And that means he's a descendant of Esau. If you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob, his name got changed to Israel. And Israel descended from Joseph, but his twin brother Esau They were known as the Edomites. Esau was, you know, hairy. That was what his name means. Red, hairy, that's what his name means. He was a descendant of Esau. So he was an outsider, but he had a serious chip on his shoulder. His desire was to be great and to be great forever. So he built cities and he built palaces. He even rebuilt the temple for the Jews and made it even bigger. Not that he cared about God. Or, or the Jewish people. He only cared about himself and having the Jewish people indebted to him. Because the truth was, Herod, he was a savage, jealous person. He was so jealous that someone might become king of the Jews that he murdered his own wife, his mother-in-law, two of his sons, and a brother-in-law who he thought had an eye on the throne. That's how savage he was. So the message of Jesus... uh, And the message of Christmas, what was good news, and and the angels said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is supposed to be a good thing, but to Herod, the message of a coming king troubled him, it says. And the reality is, the message of Jesus will always have one of those two effects. To those who worship Jesus and, and make it their mission to love him like the wise men, Christmas will be a wonderful thing. Because we find eternal life. But if you don't love Jesus and you haven't received him in your heart as Lord and Savior, if you don't live your life for him, then Christmas is actually bad news. We see that in John chapter 3, verse 36. We all know John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Well, the counter to that in verse 36 of chapter 3, John chapter 3, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God abides on him. That means that when we die, God isn't going to ask if we went to church or that did you give money to the church? Did you do nice things for people? He's going to ask, did you trust in Jesus as your Savior? Did you surrender your life to him, that he be Lord and King of your life? Do you believe Jesus is who he said he was? That's the gospel. That's what he's going to ask. So Herod, it said, Herod's worried, and not just Herod, it says all of Jerusalem with him is troubled. The people of Jerusalem either feared some sort of paranoid outburst from Herod, from, from hearing about this rival king that's, that has been born, or it just could be the size of, of this large caravan of people from the east. So the city of Jerusalem, they take, they take notice what's going on, and how is Herod going to respond to all of this? Well, Herod, he gets his think tank together, and he goes to the religious leaders, continuing verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the Messiah will be born in the little town of Bethlehem, six miles south of Jerusalem. Now it's like a suburb of Jerusalem. So that's where he will be born. Verse 7 says, Then Herod, when he had, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. He wants to know how long the king has been alive so he will know how old the child is that he's going to be looking for. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Of course, Herod didn't really want to worship Jesus. He just wants to know where he was so he could eliminate his competition and be the only king of the Jews. That was his view of Jesus. He was competition. For the wise men, it was their mission to find Jesus and to worship him. Well, third, we will see the star led these wise men to Jesus' exact location. We see that in verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So this star continues to guide them, apparently reappearing at this time. It appeared one night out of nowhere and led them all the way to Israel, to, to the place where Jesus was born. And when they got to Jerusalem, it seems that the star vanished for a time while they were having this interaction with Herod and the religious leaders, then, as they were sent to Bethlehem, it reappears. In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. There are a lot of theories about this star. Some say it was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Others suggest it's a supernova or a comet, or maybe it's just a special, created, unique star for this particular occasion. Whatever it was, it's significant that God met these wise men in their own medium. He guided astronomers by a star. And that's so like God, that he 
He meets us where we are. He knows how to speak to each and every one of us and to address us in our life situation. He speaks to us where we are. Well, he does that here. And this is also a fulfillment of a passage found in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, where it says, A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This was widely regarded by Jewish scholars as a messianic prediction with reference to a star as being a sign of the Messiah. So God is he's leading these wise men with a star. In verse 9, And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. They found what they were looking for. And I believe God also wants to lead us. Probably not with a star, like it led, a star led these wise men, though that would be nice, right? We would all admit that would be really nice if we could just ask God a question and, God, where do you want me to live? Well, follow the star. You know, look up in the sky and just follow the star. Uh, what job do you want me to have? Well, follow the star. Lord, who do you want me to marry? You know, follow the star like there's a star over a person, right? That would be really nice, really easy to follow that, but it doesn't quite work that way, does it? But I believe God has given us our own GPS unit for our soul. For those who are believers, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us to guide us as we listen to God's Spirit leading us and guiding us. But outside of that, the first place we look is His Word. Psalm 119 says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet. God's word will direct each step we are to take. And as we read the Bible, as we hide God's word in our heart, God will bring us closer to Jesus. Each step we take is closer to Jesus. Just like these wise men, as they followed God's guiding, they got closer and closer to Jesus. As you read your Bible, you will find that you get closer and closer to Jesus. Verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. So by the time the wise men reach Jesus, he's in a house, not in a stable, not in a cave. We also notice that Jesus here is called a young child, not a baby. He is likely six months to even a year and a half old at this point. This is several months after Jesus' birth when these wise men find their way to Jerusalem and then arrive here in Bethlehem. And I should also point out that the religious leaders knew Jesus was here the entire time, but they never made the trip. Herod asked them, where is he? They knew the answer, but they didn't bother. They never went to go see the baby, Jesus. Nothing in their hearts said, well, let's go see. Let's go see what this is about. That tells us that Knowing information about God isn't enough. You have to take the steps of faith to go see for yourself and give your heart to Jesus personally. But these wise men, they're the only ones to go. And that leads us to our fourth and final point. When they arrive at this location, we now see their adoration. We see adoration, verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, 
They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the idea that there were three wise men probably comes from the fact that there were three gifts, as if only one gift per, per wise men. So they weren't kings, right? We established that. And there weren't three of them. There could have been 30. There could have been 300. We don't know. But there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, why those three particular gifts? Gold was the currency or the riches of a king. Gold speaks of his royalty, that he is a king, the newborn king. Frankincense was a religious incense offered up in the temple uh, as worship, in the worship of God. This spoke to how Jesus came as a priest. He came as a priest to offer up his own life as a lamb slain for the sins of the world. So it speaks of his divinity, the son of God, the son of man. And then this third gift was myrrh. Now, myrrh was used as an embalming fluid, a strange gift for a baby. I mean, that's not something that's on the gift registry for the baby shower, to myrrh. Myrrh speaks of bitterness, suffering, and death. The baby Jesus would grow up to suffer greatly as a man and would pay the ultimate price when he gave his life on the cross for all who would believe in him. Yes, it's wonderful that God came to this earth, but he was born for the cross. Jesus was born to die. That was his ultimate mission. And this third gift of the Magi speaks of his destiny, Jesus' death on our behalf. So these wise men, they had searched for Jesus. They found him, and what did they do? They fell down. They bowed down on their hands and knees. And these important men who were wealthy and educated, they bowed down before a humble child, and they worshiped him, and they paid the, the homage to him that they would pay to a king. So grown, dignified men bowing down to worship a one- to two-year-old? I mean, that's, that's the picture. Can you imagine? Jesus had not done anything to this point. I mean, he had some diapers changed. He, he, he cried some. He hadn't performed any miracles. He hasn't taught any multitude of people. He hasn't spoken anything like that. It makes you wonder, what did Jesus say? What were, what were his first words? We, we don't know. But it makes, it makes me wonder anyway. He hasn't done anything. But they worshipped this young child with adoration. That was why they came all this distance and gave these gifts of extravagance. This was their Christmas worship. Regardless of, of when they arrived, Christmas night or months later, their Christmas experience was a lot like ours. You know, our Christmas is marked by a lot of things. We have traditions, and of course, we have the commercialization of Christmas uh, here in the United States. Uh, two, two things in particular. We spent spending, spending money, sometimes lots of money, on carefully chosen gifts, which these wise men did that. They had carefully chosen gifts that they brought and that were expensive. They were extravagant, extravagant gifts that they gave to Jesus. And two, Christmas usually involves travel of some kind. They traveled 500 miles to come and observe their first Christmas. So traveling great distance and spending a lot of money. But I would say that for many people in our culture, 
there's a departure from theirs on one key issue. Everything about Christmas for these wise men was centered around Jesus. He was the centerpiece of their worship and their celebration. Their reason for Christmas was worshiping Jesus. They said, we have come to worship him. And I would say for wise people today, that is how we approach Christmas as well, to worship him. That's what we can learn from the Magi. For, for all that Christmas is, the traveling, the spending, the, that should all be about Jesus. I'm not saying you need to go home and take down your tree or t- take down your Christmas lights from your house or throw out your eggnog. You don't need to do any of those things. But I am saying that Jesus is to be the center of our celebration, the center of our fun, that he should be the center of all of it because he is the source of all of it. He's the cause of us sending out Christmas cards or hosting parties. Yes, do those things, but do them because Jesus is the greatest gift to the world. Again, John 3.16, one of the most popular verses in the Bible It's actually, when you think about it, it's a Christmas verse. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. That's the greatest Christmas gift of all. The Father, the God the Father, sending his son into this world. Well, concluding our passage this morning, verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Remember, Herod said, send word back so I can go worship Jesus too. But God revealed to the Magi that Herod didn't have the right heart, the right motive. So they just go home without telling him anything. They just go home. We see here three different responses to Jesus. And you could say that all people respond in one of these three ways. One, we see the response of Herod. He displayed an open hatred and hostility towards Jesus. We find out later, he looked for all the children under the age of two to find baby Jesus. He also showed that not everyone who claims to worship Jesus or says they worship Jesus actually does. So that's one response. Another response is like the chief priest and the scribes. They were indifferent towards Jesus. Yeah, they maintained an appearance of religiosity, They maintained that, but they didn't make any effort to see him. And third, the response of the wise men. They sought out Jesus, and they worshiped him, even at great cost. They weren't satisfied with just looking at a star from afar, like, oh, that's really neat. Yeah, there's there's the Messiah somewhere over there. No, they, they sought him out. They did something about the star. They set out, and they followed it. And when they found, they found where it led, they worshiped. And they worshiped by giving something. They didn't come empty-handed in their adoration. These wise men received Jesus as their king. How will you receive the king? Probably not number one. I mean, you're here on a Christmas service celebration. You're, you're probably not having the heart of Herod, open hostility towards Jesus. But what about number two? like the chief priests and and the scribes, offering a distant acknowledgement of Jesus, but overall indifferent. Let's receive him as 
receive him with worship and adoration as our king. Let's not just sing some Christmas songs. Let's enter in, engaging our hearts and minds as we worship and adore our king. Let's receive him as our king. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for sending your son